Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East and this is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody who has experienced a pivot or change in life. We all go through them and I wanted to sit down with people who have made it through these changes well in order to glean some wisdom but also hear some pretty dang good stories. And today we are continuing our Forbes 30 Under 30 series where we sit down and talk with people who are redirecting the future. And our guest today is the one and only Julia Harried. So Julia is a co-founder of an organization called Maker Girl. And after graduating from the University of Illinois, uh, she created this nonprofit that helps bridge the STEM gender gap, uh, starting with girls aged seven to 10 years old. And she's reached nearly 4,000 girls across 22 different states. And what she does is she'll bring them in and they will design and print uh, items such as keychains, bolts, and rings on 3D printers. So this is amazing. You can imagine all the things that you need to learn in order to 3D print an object. And I, I love what she's doing. If you want to find out more about Maker Girl and what Julie is up to, I will link that information down below. But hats off to Julia for coming up with such a creative solution to the STEM gender gap that we see. Anyway, if you haven't subscribed to the show and given it a rating, please do so on whatever platform you're listening on. And without further ado, I bring you Julia Harry. Julia, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, a couple things. First of all, I understand you just recently got engaged. Is that right? Yes, I did. You are on the ball. I did get engaged. Um... <laughs> Wow, I have not told anyone on a podcast before about my engagement. So I've been dating him for about a year. His name's Andrew. And I happened to find the ring in a shoe um, the day of that he asked me because he said he needs to bring walking shoes. And I was like, why do you need to bring walking shoes? So I happened to look in the shoe and I moved a sock and there was a box. So I had an idea um, that it was going to happen that day. I did not look in the box, but you know what the shape of the boxes are. And he asked that day in the afternoon, and we went back to a restaurant in Little Italy where I uh, was living up until very recently in Chicago uh, named Tofano's. And he asked outside of the restaurant because that's where we had our first date. Julia, I would love to hear, I always like to start off hearing people's upbringings, hearing how they got to where they are today and what their foundation was. How did you get to where you are today? Definitely. So I grew up in a western suburb of Chicago and both my parents um, supported my education and my dad is a nuclear engineer. So I had a decent amount of engineering and the love to fix and make things from him all the time. So he would always like say, come work on the car with me. Like we're going to fix an engine, uh, which I didn't know how to do. And then, so I had that side from my dad. And then on my mom's side, she's in actually education and she, she teaches as a job. And she kind of had me do a lot more languages and arts. So I have oil painting background and I took Spanish, French, and Latin for a large part of my life. So I definitely had both parts kind of of the brain, uh, activated as a young kid. So I would say my love of learning came from my parents and still does. And then that brought me to college at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, where I studied accounting. And then while I was there, I took a social entrepreneurship class 
And we thought about what bothers us. And for me, it was a lack of women and diversity in leadership positions. So CFOs have very few women in them uh, positions. So me being an accounting student, that didn't have great prospects for me to actually be a CFO and run a company and lead a Fortune 500 company just because there are so few women who lead them. So I had this desire to change that. And I started reading all the articles in about 2011, Anne Marie Slaughter had an article in the Atlantic about how women can't have it all. So I really started doing research and a lot of reading, including the consulting firm that I currently work at. I did research there. And from the class that I was also in, I saw that I not only wanted to do the research, but actually do something and kind of be on the court and participate and have a stand for women in education and girls throughout the nation um, and diversity. So that is a short version of where I'm from and how it started and how Maker Girl started. I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's interesting. I think I'm becoming so much more aware of the limited perspective that I have. And like, on the one hand, it's you know, that there's a tendency to think, oh, well, you know, there's no reason that women shouldn't have these leadership positions. Like, why? I don't even put thought into it because it doesn't affect me really. But now that I'm the father of a daughter, I've really been thinking about, okay, like how might society affect her career or affect her interests or discourage her from doing this or that? And I've been on this journey of, buying as many books as I can all about amazing women. So like there's a bunch of, mm. you know, uh, in books about impressive females who have like changed the world with sciences and things like mm -hmm. that. But you, you mentioned the, uh, the 2011 article about women who can't have it all. What struck you about that read? Yeah. So in reality, I haven't read it for a long time, um, but it was definitely like a pivotal article that I read. My friend sent it to me, and it was the first time that for me personally, I really saw that there, like, that this conversation was really broadening and affecting so many lives across the U.S. Because um, women make up about 51% or 53 of the people who live in the United States. So it was the first time that I saw that women were at, to some extent disadvantaged and disproportionately represented in leadership positions. Because to me, I just, it didn't even occur to me. It wasn't something that I thought about, um, like similar to you, except mine happened a little bit earlier because uh, I was like 18 years old. I didn't like think about careers or who was leading our country. It wasn't something that totally uh, struck me. So that article really discussed topics and issues that are relevant to society. And it's not only an issue that's affecting women and girls, but it's really a societal issue. Um, and I say that because research really does show that when women are prospering, their families are prospering and so is their community. So I love women and I want them to succeed, but I also want all people to succeed. So I really think having women and girls education being part of the conversation and being a priority will foster growth and prosperity with nations and communities and countries. Wow. That's a pretty amazing vision that you have. I'm curious, 
I mean, I care about a lot of things. I donate to organizations. We do fundraising for them and do events. And what, what is, uh, you briefly touched on part of your motivation, but what made you not just want to contribute or to be involved in an existing organization, but to form your own? Yeah, so to reiterate your question, what had me actually start my own company, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. So really the opportunity presented itself through the social entrepreneurship class. Um, I never really thought of starting my own business or company or not-for-profit before then. Uh, my grandfather was an entrepreneur and my dad also helped him with his business at a point in time. So really being in that class and our professor, Noah Isserman, he asked us, um, well, he like more challenged us and said, why don't you start Maker Girl? Because we've come up with the idea, but we never really thought of like actually running a Maker Girl session. So it was really his, the opportunity of one being in that classroom and number two, a professor like challenging us and really saying that we could do something and actually host the session and then start a company and start an not-for-profit. Wow. What were some of the unique challenges that you encountered in, in forming the nonprofit? Yeah. So all the challenges are new and different every day. Um, some of the unique ones, um, honestly, like the continued structure over time of a not-for-profit and who's like on the board of advisors and board of directors is a continued conversation and challenge that we have. Uh, and that's because we're just like me and my co-founder, Lizzie Angley, we have a full-time person who runs it, Mary Hadley. So it's an interesting dynamic of two co-founders having a company and then also having mm. a CEO who's actually running it day to day and then really having support for her to do the best job that she can do with our support and really understanding the, stru the structure on a governmental level and board advisors, board of directors level that will support her in doing that. So I think that's one challenge that I found. Um, but also the challenges are really fun because they're very different than anything that as a young a uh, person pursuing a career in finance and accounting would ever encounter because I am running my own business and I do have accountability to pay her every two weeks and to have all of our students who are assisting us supported. So there's always different challenges with that. Um, so I would say number one, the governance is very interesting and then new challenges are always coming up and they're new and different and very different from what I would see in a normal corporate environment. I should back up and ask, uh, you're in this social entrepreneurship class. Um, explain to me your vision starting out of what Maker Girl was. Yeah, so our original vision was to have young girls participate in birthday parties and have them learn how to 3D print at those birthday parties. And my co-founder, Lizzie Angley, she actually had the idea and I had the fortune to actually join her and become a co-founder with her. So that was our original idea and it has since evolved. And we mostly do sessions with girls ages seven to 10. 
And we used to do them live and across the nation at six different academies in the United States uh, with university students running them. And then it evolved again during this pandemic and we've gone all virtual, which has actually been really good for us because we want to reach as many girls as possible through the United States and through the world. So it's brought down a lot of barriers for us and opened up a whole new realm of possibility and access to young people that we didn't already have. So that was the original vision of Maker Girl was 3D printing birthday parties. And now we've evolved to running virtual sessions all across the nation. And why 3D printing specifically as the activity? Totally. So there's two reasons. I would say the first would be because at the University of Illinois, they have one of the first 3D printing labs in a college of business. So I was a business student and we had access to this really cool 3D printing lab. There are about 15 3D printers that flanked the room and it was a beautiful space. So we had this amazing resource. So that would be the first one. And then the second is 3D printing is really cool uh, and you can make a lot of different things with it and there's a lot of different uses and use cases. So with 3D printing, we actually teach the girls how 3D printing is used at like Bobble Bar. They use it to iterate on their design processes for jewelry or we'll teach them about how um, like Boeing is using it to 3D print part of their engines for their planes. So it is used in so many different industries and it's just really cool. I unfortunately have not had the opportunity to do 3D printing yet. Uh, I'm excited yeah. to try it. It does sound like a blast and I always read articles about whatever. I think there was someone who uh, 3D printed like a liver or something and it was like, mm -hmm. what the heck? This is next level. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious why. <laughs> so the the general concept is bridging the STEM gen gender gap. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the factors that contribute to that gender gap existing. Definitely. So at a young age, around the age of seven, as a young girl, that's kind of when you start realizing the societal factors that play into your everyday life. And you hear more like, oh, you're not necessarily good at math. Oh, you shouldn't be taking that physics class because like only guys are doing it. So young people, particularly girls, hear that and they really internalize it and they act because of what they hear. So between age seven and 10, girls stop saying no or start saying no to things and they stop saying yes. Mm. So it is a really critical age for young people to really have the excitement and interest in different activities. And we think science, technology, engineering, and math. And our purpose is not necessarily for every young girl in the United States to be, to be an engineer, but we want all girls to have the ability and the capacity and the know-how to actually say, yes, I'm interested in that or no. And it's more because of what they choose rather than what society is telling them or what their teacher supposedly said or what the boy next door said to them. I, I, I got the chills when you were talking. It just, it doesn't, makes sense why that door would be shut. Like, again, I, I, I'm getting emotional just thinking of my daughter. I just, I want her to have any opportunity that she would like to pursue. Right. And so I want to open as many doors as possible. Why? Anyway. So thank you for the work that you do. It's so important. And I understand that, um, you kind of 
help these girls 3D print specific objects like keychains and rings uh, and bolts. And I love, I, I recently read a book called Essentialism and it talks about the importance of, of play and like how it just engages your brain. And I, cool. when I was reading through what Maker Girl is and like learning that you help create these everyday items that that young children use on a day-to-day basis and like enjoy decorating or, or, you know, they have different uses for them. It's like, what a cool way to engage the, the playful aspect and, and that exciting aspect of, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to use this on a day-to-day basis with the skills that you learn from actually creating it. So I'm all on board with maker girl. I love it. I am, I am curious though. So I would love uh, your wisdom. Cause I need to learn how to do a better job at you're a co-founder with Lizzie, but you have a CEO who runs it on a day-to-day basis. The, um, as we, as I learn to, to manage a team, I mean, my wife manages me and then I, you know, distribute from there, but, uh, the trust of, Hey, this is, this is our vision for the organization as co-founders, but you're the actual one who's seeing it on a day in a day out basis. How do you deal with the friction and the difference in vision and navigate that relationship? Yeah, that is a great question. Uh, so I would say it's a matter of finding the right people that are, that have the same vision for you. And that's kind of like the base of where we started. So we've had two full-time people now work for us and both of them actually were university change makers with us before. So they were a part of Maker Girl before for many years. So they knew really like what we were up to and they've worked with both me and Lizzie directly before. So I think really ensuring that who you have on your team has the same vision, that's like the biggest thing. Um, and then really, if you have the same vision, you can pretty much change how you get there and work together and decide how you get there and work through any, um, issue for me personally, we've had, we've definitely had our upsets as a team and as an organization, like anyone does and really great advice that we always get. And when I'm like upset or whatever is going on is like, really like, okay, what is your vision? Is this gonna help it or isn't it? Cause like maybe you can reframe the situation or the issue because you both are on the same, like you both have the same gold star or whatever, the North star. And it might be a matter of switching your viewpoint of how to get there. Um, so it's really, really critical that you always also have the vision or your mission top of mind um and i would say communicate because nothing if you don't communicate verbally like no one knows what's going on uh so we really really try to communicate um and when we first started my co-founder and i actually we would sit down about once a week and tell each other like three good things that we did that week and then three things that needed to change so we are constantly giving each other feedback because we did want to really improve who we were as at the time university students and now as co-founders and leaders of a national organization we continue on to do that so definitely having one vision 
and being on the same page is clearly critical and then communicate always through thick and thin. That is some solid wisdom. Thank you, Julia. <laughs> um, so currently, as I understand it, Maker Girl has worked with f- over 4,000 girls all across the nation. Um, what is your five-year vision for the organization? Yes. Awesome question. So by 2023, we want to have educated 10,000 girls. So we are on track to do that. And I really think virtual sessions are really how we're going to do that. And if we get there sooner, awesome. I would love every girl in the United States and then the world to be a maker girl and to identify with being a maker girl. Uh, Someone who says yes to the challenges of tomorrow. That's how we define it. And why I bring that up is because during our sessions, we see that girls actually kind of have a mentality shift of who they are in the world. So when they step into, well, when they used to step into our sessions physically, girls would kind of be shy and timid and not really know what's going on. And then by the end of the session, they would be sharing like everything and every detail about their creation and they'd be excited about it. So there's actually a shift of how they thought of themselves which I think is so critical. And even for me, like we just hung art because we moved to a new apartment and I was like, oh, I can't do this. Like I've never done it before. And that's like, no, I'm a maker girl. I got to figure it out. So it's really something that like, even like I kind of hit against is like, no, like I can actually do that. And if I can't, then you just like spend an hour and figure it out or whatever it is. Um, but there is a mental shift that occurs with the seven to 10 year olds and then really all the university students who work with us because all the work that they're working with us on, they've never done it before. They've never raised money before. Um, they've never run the maker girl sessions before. So that mental shift is something that we really strive and we really try to create with all of the girls who participate and I would love to see everyone identify with that, particularly young, young girls. Because young girls are so powerful and fun. And I really just want more girls like that. Hmm. I'm curious, this might be tough to come up with spontaneously, but do you have one story, whether it's a university student who's helping you out or of a younger girl, of just it's like as a really positive interaction of what you guys are doing over there? Totally. So the first example, well, I can show you a little 3D printed item that I have so you can like what? see what a 3D printed item is. Yeah. That is sick. So, what is that made out yeah, of? Yeah. So this is like a little, this is PLA. So it's a form of plastic. Wow. And yeah, it's pretty much plastic. And it moves. <laughs> so these are like, so this is a little bit more intricate than what the girls design. Um, but this is what the girls could design in the 3D printed session. So that's what I first want to show you. And then to actually answer your question, yes, we have an awesome girl named Addie. And one day she was walking out of her house and she turns to her dad and says, bye, dad, I love you. And her dad goes, "Uh, bye, Addie, you're my baby girl. And Addie goes, dad, I'm not your baby girl. I'm a maker girl. And that was after one of our sessions. Um, So again, back to the mentality, that was like a complete shift for her. She's like, I'm not a baby anymore. Like, I'm a maker girl. That's who I am in this world. Uh, And then since then, she's done so many of our sessions. And a fun part of our sessions is the girls get to actually print what they design. 
and then they take it home with them after the session. So she has a whole bag of all the 3D printed items that she's ever made. And she, this isn't necessarily STEM related, but at her new grade school that she attended, um, she started a debate club because they didn't have a debate club. So as an 11 year old, she saw this really cool opportunity in a space where she wanted to be. And instead of like being sad that it wasn't necessarily there, she started a debate club at her school as an 11 year old. You're changing people into world changers, Julia. That's amazing. So you mentioned, you mentioned the virtual sessions. I'd love for you to kind of talk about what those are and how people might find out more. Yeah, I would love to. So the virtual sessions are an hour and a half long and they are through Zoom and the girls get to learn how to CAD design, so computer automated design on the computer and then they're broken out into breakout rooms and the young people are then paired with university students who are part of our organization and they go through the 3D printing process and then after the session and after they um, are a full maker girl, they actually get their 3D printed item at home. So we currently are shipping their 3D prints to them about a week later. And the girls can then go show all their friends at maybe school, maybe at home, maybe over other Zoom calls, what they actually made in the session. And all of our sessions right now are on Eventbrite. Uh, and also groups can do the sessions. So we work with a bunch of Girl Scout groups. Uh, 4-H clubs, uh, homeschool groups that are around, really any uh, group that has 7 to 10-year-old girls we work with. Um, And we really try to access socioeconomic diverse communities and also rural areas. So we try to do that, number one, because there's a lacking amount of education there. And then there's fewer resources. So we're really trying to bring the resources that we have to those different communities. Uh, And my co-founder is from a rural area. She grew up on a farm. So that's kind of where that came from because I never, it never really occurred to me. I live, I live mostly in cities, Uh, but about 95% of actually philanthropic money goes to cities. Uh, So it's very little and a few dollars that go to rural areas despite the United States being so vast and really dependent on those rural areas. Hmm. So is, are the events strictly donation based or are there tickets that you buy through Eventbrite? Yeah. So normally there's tickets that you buy through Eventbrite for international day of the girl. We had a month of free sessions. Uh, and right now, since we are still a not-for-profit and a startup, uh, we're playing around with pricing to see what really works uh, because we really want as many girls to go through the program. We don't want the fee associated with it to hinder any from anyone from joining. So there are also scholarships. Um, so yeah, you can go to Eventbrite and there's always sessions there. And for those who want to find out more or donate, you can do so via the website at makergirl.us, correct? Yeah, we'll also link that exactly. down below. Julia, so you've, been involved in so much and this is just your side job i know you have a full-time gig as well i'm curious of all the things that you've done and accomplished um and experienced so far what are three things that you learned or maybe someone shared with you that have proved valuable advice for you that you could share with us Mm, definitely 
So I would say there's no harm in asking. So always ask the question. Um, and even when the answer is a no, maybe later it'll be a yes. So I would say that one. Number two, I would say with friends and with COVID going on and with the change in people that you do see, um, try to remember like the old friends and the new friends. Um, I think it's like very interesting and like at the time of my life where a lot of things are changing. So really just be grateful for all the friends that you have and be in communication with them. Uh, and then three is I always try to work hard and it's really fun and I think um, life's a lot more worthwhile when you do. Um, so if that's mentally or physically or both or in any other capacity, um, working hard is kind of what I try to do and I think it's really fun to do. So those are the three things that I would say. Listen, I'd like to personally thank you for having the courage and the smarts or the problem solving skills to really go and create this organization or find the team that can make this happen to, to change the world. Uh, I want to make my daughter a maker girl and, um, a part of me wants to be a maker girl as well, but I'll, I'll <laughs> but I, I am super appreciative and impressed by what you've done. Um, and I'm excited to see what's next. So let us know if there's ever anything we could do to help you. And it was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Andrew. And we need all the men too to support us. We won't get there with only the women. So I appreciate that. And um, I look forward to your daughter being a maker girl too. Awesome. Thanks, Julia.